Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church, inviting you to our virtual living room, where we discuss today's issues and how those issues relate to the Holy Scriptures. So sit back, relax, and engage in conversation with us. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. The Most High, in the name of Christ, bless you. I am Josiah, and welcome to our virtual living room where we examine recent events as they pertain to the Holy Scriptures. This week, we're going to follow up on, I guess you could say it was a promise we made earlier during the year, and that is with uh, each coming Holy Day that we were actually going to have a program about that Holy Day or set of Holy Days. And uh, coming up uh, this week, in fact, we have the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that will be the topic of conversation today. And joining us in the virtual living room uh, in this conversation, we got the usual brothers, the blessed brothers we have with us, Brother Yohanathan. Is he still on mute? We also have with us Brother Kabar. Hello, brothers and sisters. Good to be back. I'm definitely good to be speaking about the subject of the Passover. And we also have with us Brother Kazakia. Hey, shalom, brothers. Most high the name of Christ bless all. Glad to be back and definitely excited about this particular uh, uh, this high holy day coming up. Uh, ready to talk about it. And uh, Lord willing, the understanding in Christ comes up. All right, now, uh, brothers, uh, earlier during the year, I think it was in January, we had a program, a series of programs, three in fact, where we discussed all the holy days for the entire year. We started off with discussing, I think, the Sabbath day of the new moon, and we went on discussing the Passover and the Day of Atonement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. Uh, but we did not go in any great detail on any one of them. Basically, we went and, you know, kind of summarized them did not go into any real significant, deep meaning about what those days uh, were about. Uh, and we were going to follow up just before those days uh, occurred and give some real detail about what those days about, especially uh, concerning Christ, which is the most important aspect is what I understand. So today we're going to spend some time going over some of the things that we talked about in January which basically has to deal with the origin of the feast and uh, what's the difference between, say, Passover and unleavened bread, how was Passover observed back in the day, and then uh, what was the most significant, obvious reason for Passover, and with Christ, is there a difference in these feasts? Does Christ make a difference at all? And if so, what is that difference that Christ makes? And also, and I guess finally, we'll discuss, you know, is there a different method in regard to the way that you observe the feast now as opposed to the way you would have observed it 3,000 years ago? Okay? So I guess uh, my, my first question, uh, I, I'll ask you, Kabar. You know, this whole thing about Passover, you, you, you're growing up, not you, Kabar, because you grew up a little different than a lot of us, you know. <laughs> I grew up Southern Baptist. And this word Passover was floated around. I remember hearing that conversations uh, or, or someplace. Don't remember specifically where it was. But 
never really understood anything about what it was about until I started really reading the Bible for, for understanding. And it, to me, it, it has some relationship to Easter, okay? And I think that's the same thing for a lot of people. So tell, tell me, does it have any relationship to Easter at all? Uh, it has absolutely, uh, completely no relation relationship to Easter at all. What you have uh, going, the reason this popular misconception is um, held by so many people is because, you know, you have the uh, Roman Catholic influence, the global Roman Catholic influence all over the world, teaching the doctrine uh, of devils contrary to the scriptures that many people have uh, chose to believe in. And what it does is it tries to synchronize the pagan elements of this world into uh, the scriptures and the appointed times that you see. Uh, okay. So the reason is they try to, a lot of times, you try to synchronize the time frame or the, or the, uh, the, the day, the pagan uh, idolatrous holidays with the time frame and the high holy days of the Heavenly Father to confuse it, to purposely confuse it, and, and get people to the point where they're willing to accept, either through ignorance or through choice, uh, the pagan days over the, the most high, high, uh, high holy day. Okay. Because, uh typically, in order to understand any particular thing, typically you go back to the absolute beginning of it, and then you're probably going to gain the best understanding you can possibly gain. So what I'd like to ask you to do is just uh, give us, uh, uh, you know, somewhat of a summation, um, you know, of how did the Passover begin? You know, why was it implemented? You know, how was it implemented? You know, what was the purpose behind it? The Passover, how did it originate? Excuse me. The Passover basically, uh, first and foremost, the Passover represents the mass exodus of our people, the Israelites, out of uh Captivity out of slavery, a hard bondage in Egypt under Pharaoh at that time. It also, uh, which was something that the Heavenly Father himself went about orchestrating and causing to make happen. Uh, so, and, and it is something that the Most High ordained, that God Almighty ordained that we keep and we celebrate in remembrance of this mighty act that he did for us yearly, each year. And of course, with the Passover, there are certain ordinances that had to that had to be kept. But the overall point is, when we go into the Passover, or we talk about the Passover, what does the Passover mean, or what does it represent? It represents, first and foremost, the mercy that the Heavenly Father had on us, and the fact that He basically destroyed He basically destroyed Egypt. And caused, caused the greatest nation in the known world at that time to fall under his mighty, powerful hand so that we could be freed uh, from that hard bondage, from that captivity to serve the almighty God. Okay. All right, you, you want to think a lot of times you can, you can glean uh, an understanding about what something is about just based upon the word. You know, you pick out root words and so forth. So in this case with Passover, we got two root words, pass and over. Does that give you any indication at all as to what actually went on on in Passover and the reason why it started? Yes, that gives you some um, indication as to um, what went on during Passover. And um, according to the scriptures, actually what happened was in the ordinances 
from the beginning, um, the death angel, the angel of the Lord, came and passed over Egypt and slew all the firstborns throughout the land of Egypt, of man, beast, of anything that was living throughout the land of Egypt, except for the children of Israel. Why? Because they followed the instructions of the Heavenly Father and uh, killed the Passover lamb and put blood of, struck blood upon the doorposts. Okay, so that that Passover is actually the angel of the Lord coming throughout Egypt and slewing the firstborn of all living creatures throughout the land of Egypt and thus, um, you know, passing over that land and then bringing deliverance to Israel by by the Egyptians finally allowing the children of Israel or setting them free. Okay. Kabara, um, uh, oftentimes... When you uh, when you hear of Passover, uh, a lot of people say say Passover, and they refer to like an entire week. But you also have something called the Feast of Unleavened Bread that's also in there. You know, could you tell us a little bit about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and how that was in- implemented? You know, what were the circumstances? How did it originate? Well, the thing is that uh, there was, and as you as you proceed forth in the Book of Exodus starting out the 12th chapter, uh, you know the Lord began our uh, year, our calendar year, at a specific time. In the first month of that year, he named, and that's the only month of our year that has a name. All the rest are numbers. That first month is called the Abib, right? That's the beginning of months for us, uh, the first day of the first month of our year. The second month on down to the 12th is merely month two, three, so forth, down to 12. And that month of Abib, on the 14th day of that month, at uh, in uh, at evening, we would take a lamb uh, that was separated out of the flocks and kill it. And that dark, at night, uh, that lamb would be, would be roasted at, uh, with fire, and we will partake of that Passover. The lamb being a, 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 just a young uh, goat or young uh, sheep, so on and so forth. Lamb just meaning of the first year. But the thing was, but the thing was, <clears throat> you had this uh, this lamb that you that you would uh, separate out, and you would eat it uh, on a fourteenth uh, day at dark. And the important point you have to understand is that for for the Israelites and for our uh, lunar calendar year, and when you go back in Genesis, you'll understand how the days were established. At dark, it is the simultaneous ending of one day. And the beginning of the next day So the 14th day at dark Would simultaneously end that 14th day And begin that 15th day So that's when you would, at, that, at that precise point Is when you would eat that Passover lamb And it would begin The seven days uh, Of not Not only the, the Passover That was eight uh, partaking of that first day But the succeeding uh, Seven days onward you would uh, eat unleavened bread. And the reason you ate unleavened bread was, was because at the time that our people was going to actually make the exodus out of Egypt was going to be that night of the Passover. So the uh, the dough that they had needed, uh, we, we not say needed, meaning they, you know, uh, prepared, didn't have a chance to rise because, remember, the Lord had uh, brought that tenth plague on the, on the nation of Egypt, and we were thrust out of the land, meaning we were made to leave very quickly. So the dough didn't have time to rise. And as they traveled forth throughout those days, they only had that unleavened bread that hadn't had a chance to rise, and that's what they ate for the seven days. 
So that's okay, why so you have the unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread for those seven days. So back in that time, they didn't have a corner grocery store that you could run to and pick up a loaf of bread to take on your trip. <laughs> Absolutely not. Everything was done manually and with great labor. <laughs> right. So it took 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 a while uh, to make everything work so that you could actually produce a, a loaf of bread. Okay. So uh, that is the, the feast of unleavened bread. Now, because uh, how is it that you? What were some of the the rights or laws or statutes uh, restrictions in regard to Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so that you know that you were doing it the right way? What things did you did you have to do? Okay, um, I'll just read a couple of uh, a few scriptures right quick, so that uh, we we get the understanding of how the Passover was uh, instituted back then. Um, okay. uh, all basically coming out of Exodus, the 12th chapter. Uh, and your lamb, Exodus 12 and 5, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the, in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts on, and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. So at that point, you have the killing of the Passover lamb, and we took the blood and we put it on the, side to, on the two side posts of our doorways and also on the upper post of the doorway as a, as a sign so that when the Lord sent that death angel, that, that death angel would literally pass over, pass over that house and not slay the firstborn of the inhabitants in that house. Some other, uh, um, some other uh, ordinances dealing with the Passover we had to eat the lamb roast with fire, uh, verse 9. Eat not of it raw, nor started at all with water, but roast with fire, his heads and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And also, as we partaking of that Passover lamb, we had to completely destroy it by burning it. Uh, some other uh, ordinances dealing with the Passover, um, uh, verse 15 in Exodus chapter 12. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even of the first, even the first day, ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eat of leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So the overall point is what we're reading here in in, in, in quickness, so to speak, is these ordinances or these instructions that the Lord gave us as to how we would conduct ourselves uh, at the Passover. Also in verse number ten, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning. Ye shall burn with fire, verse 11, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So when we were eating this food, eating this meal that the Lord said that we were supposed to eat, we were supposed to be ready. In other words, loins girded, have our clothes on, have our shoes on, so that when we were thrust out of the land of Egypt, they were going to do it in haste because what the Lord was going to do and, and the greatness of his power, he was going to make it so that the Egyptians said, y'all got to get out now. And mm -hmm. that's exactly what happened when you read the story in Exodus, the 12th chapter, that the, the, the Egyptians thrust us out because of the great and terrible power of God Almighty, and he sent that death angel to kill the firstborn of everything that was in that land. And another right, uh, another right well, excuse me, instruction of the Passover in verse 26 for you to get all of the uh, instructions 
uh, read Exodus, the 12th chapter. But another uh, instruction, just right quick in verse 26, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? Then ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses, and the people bowed their head and worshiped. So another part or another instruction of, of this particular high holy day of the Lord is that we had the responsibility of teaching our children what this means, what this signifies, and how we are supposed to go about keeping it. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, you want to thun, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big job to uh, tell somebody all the stuff about Passover in the space of uh, three or four minutes, like Kazaki had just uh, explained. So I'm pretty sure there may be one or two aspects that uh, he may not have mentioned at this point. Uh, have you picked up on anything else that uh, might merit being mentioning? Yes. Uh, well, just uh, want to reiterate what the brother said about um, this. He what he was saying was a summary, but he says that you can find them all the ordinances in Exodus the 12th chapter. That's Exodus the 12th chapter. Also, there's another chapter where there's some more additional ordinances. Um, basically, it, it covers the same things that are covered in Exodus, the 12th chapter. You can find that in Numbers, the ninth chapter, from verses 1 to about verse 16 until the ordinances are um, finished um, stating in the in the scriptures. But you can find it um, those ordinances, like the brother said, in Exodus, the 12th chapter, and also Numbers, the ninth chapter. Okay. Um, All right, Kabari, I'll give you a chance at it also. Did did you pick up anything that uh, may, may have been overlooked at all or, or something that you might want to expound on a little bit more? Well, the thing is that um, uh, especially the aspect of uh, this this lamb that was without blemish that you have to separate, you know, uh, out of a first year, either the sheep or the goats, and, the, and, and how that lamb was separated out because it I want to go um uh basically uh Exodus chapter twelve and we'll start at uh verses three on down when it says Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel saying in the tenth day of this month uh they shall take uh to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the house will be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next door unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your account for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And he shall keep it unto the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So this lamb was specifically the best lamb was selected out and separated from all the other animals from that 10th day to that 14th day. So four days, this lamb was alone, okay? This lamb was specifically mediated out for a specific purpose. That one lamb, the best of the flock, was separated mm -hmm. out. And then on the 14th day, the sacrifice was made. Now, uh, you would glance over a point like that unless you really start to understand the significance that will later come with the understanding that is brought in the new covenant that the Lord establishes with the nation of Israel. So I just wanted to illuminate that one aspect. 
Okay. Well, what about the, the the feast of unleavened bread, brothers? Uh, uh, what what are the uh, instructions in regard to the feast of unleavened bread that you must keep? Things that you must do or things that you must not do. Can I can I insert a point right quick? Something that Absolutely. I missed. Uh, I apologize. Something that I missed in trying to summarize what we are do what we are to do versus what uh, what we are not supposed to do on the Passover. Uh, I, I I neglected to mention the bitter herbs. That's something yeah. that we are also supposed to eat along with the lamb <clears throat> that night of the Passover, bitter herbs. And uh, it's definitely worth mentioning because this is also part of the Passover, how we kept during during this time period before uh, before the understanding of Christ, which we're going to later on the show, Lord willing. You know, this kind of seems like, it kind of seems like, okay, you, you know, here you have the Most High God is preparing you to go on a long trip. So, He's doing he's doing a couple of things by having you sacrifice the lamb. One is the blood is protecting you from the death angel. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, you ever go to a restaurant and order lamb? It is, <laughs> if not the most expensive item on the menu, it is definitely one of the most expensive items on the menu. Absolutely. So you know you are eating. You are definitely eating good if you're eating lamb. And not only are you to eat lamb, but you're going to eat the absolute best. Lamb that you can possibly find, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and then you're you're eating the bitter herbs and so forth. I mean, you are eating real, real good before 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 you leave to go off on this journey. So just 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 a little something I just observed there. Right. Um, can I just add one more thing too? Absolutely. Um, just one more thing about the lamb, um, the male without blemish. So it, like we said, it's the best. So it couldn't have any flaws. Like a, mm-hmm. a, a crooked foot, or a broken ear, or a, a bad spinal um, alignment from the animal, it had to be a healthy, strong, goodly lamb. You know, it wasn't no runt or nothing like that. It was the first and the best, without without um, flaws. So that's a real significant point. I know the brothers mentioned it, but I just want to make sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, mm-hmm. definitely. You know, re- reemphasizing it is definitely good. Uh, so, what about the uh, the feast of unleavened bread? Any particular points that it really it needs strong emphasis? Um, back during this time period, right here, Mosai said that uh, it was the feast of unleavened bread. So, what what we had the responsibility of doing is making sure that we ate unleavened bread first and foremost, uh, and at the same time, any any type of leavened bread that was that was in our houses at this particular time of the year. Uh, had to be gotten rid of, well, brothers. Come any, on in, but it definitely any type of okay. leavened bread, any type of leavened bread. Got, I, I say this over and over for the point of emphasis. According to the scriptures, any type of leavened bread that was within our houses or was within our cities, that, that leavened bread had to be gotten rid of during the time of the Passover. Wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Earlier, you know, Kambar and I were talking a little bit about the fact that they had to make this bread up and they had to leave in haste. And now you bring out a point that they actually had to get rid of any leaven bread. If they already had bread made that was made with leaven, they had to get rid of that. Right. And then make unleavened bread? Oh, yeah, they had to get rid of that. Um, uh, Here we go. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15, so that everybody who's listening to this broadcast understands. These are not things that we're just coming up uh, off, off the fly with. This is what the Lord instructed. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven 
out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. So basically, this is this is one of the the, the primary ordinances uh, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we were celebrating back during this time period, uh, that we were supposed to eat unleavened bread. And at the same time, before th- this week-long celebration started, we had to make sure that all leavened bread, meaning leavened with yeast or any type of uh, ra- uh, raising agent or rising agent, that had to be taken and put away from us. The consequence of that, uh, if anybody was caught with leavened bread or eating leavened bread during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the consequence for that act was death according to thus saith the Lord in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15. Now, you want to find, uh, oftentimes when uh, you hear people talk about Passover, uh, they're not referring to just a single day, okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. Am, am I correct that they're, you know, oftentimes they're referring to an entire period, which is roughly a week, roughly seven days, maybe eight days, depending on how you look at it. Am, am I correct about that? Yes, you are correct. Uh, I'm going to one verse. Uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 22, verse 1. Okay, if I can go there right quick. Luke 22, verse 1, and it reads, it says, Now the feast of unleavened bread was, now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. So just that scripture alone is, is letting you know that the feast of unleavened bread you know, it's called the, the Passover. It's all in one. Okay. There's many other scriptures that say the same thing, but I just wanted to go there because it's okay. thus said the Lord. Um, my, my question is, though, about that period that we, we, we term as the Passover, and I'm, for just a little bit more clarification and terminology, I'll call it Passover week. Okay? Okay. During Passover week, what all holy days are observed? Okay, um, going back to Exodus chapter 12, I'm a, I would like to read first and foremost verse 15 and again, and then I'm going to read a couple of verses downward. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. This is, this is at Passover. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever ever eateth unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And on excuse me, and in the first day there shall be an holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. Ye shall and ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, therefore shall ye observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. So basically, during the Passover, that first that first day was a Sabbath day or a high holy day according to the Lord, and that last day, that seventh day, was a Sabbath day or a high holy day according to the Lord. No type of work was supposed to be done except the preparing for the meal. Okay, that that was to be eaten. That's the only type of work that the heavenly Father allowed to be done. Other than that, it, it's, 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 it's just a straight, regular Sabbath that we're supposed to uh, observe. Now, there's one or two other distinctions. Uh, now, on that first day, of course, you have the Passover Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
simultaneously began the 14th day at evening, which goes into the 15th day. Now, on that first day, the requirement, as you read in Exodus 12, 18, the requirement that of the ordinance was, they shall eat the flesh in that night, meaning the Passover, that lamb, mm-hmm. either the goat or the sheep, right? It says, roast with fire and unleavened bread with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Now, the requirement on that first day was uh, the, the lamb, the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs. The succeeding days, the following seven days, the only requirement after that was the unleavened bread. If you chose to eat bitter herbs or if you chose to eat more lamb, so be it. But you had to partake of unleavened bread, and you could not partake of leavened bread. So the, the, the requirement for the first days was those three items, but the requirement for the succeeding last seven days was only the unleavened bread. Well, the person chose to take of whatever lawful meat well, or if they chose to partake of more bread herbs, that's well also. But the thing that was required was the unleavened bread, and the thing that was restricted was the leavened bread. So that they had to, those ordinances had to be observed those following seven days, they had to partake of that unleavened bread and could not partake of leavened bread. But whether they chose to partake of any other meat that was lawful or herbs that was lawful, so be it. Okay, now, uh, Kabar, earlier you cleared up the fact that, uh, you know, Easter was not involved in this. What about uh, Palm Sunday and Good Friday? Were, were they involved in this observance at all? No, they were not observed in this um, uh, part of this observing at all. Remember, we're talking about this is the exodus out of Egypt. We're talking about uh, two millennia, at minimum two millennia before you even get to an invention, the carnal, idolatrous invention from the uh, Greek and Roman nations of the Palm Sunday and these other uh, wicked uh, pagan days. Okay, so at this time, these days didn't even exist and wouldn't exist for over two and a half thousand years, okay? So that okay. that was the situation. Bare minimum right. two and a half thousand One, years. Yeah, bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> so now, obviously, there was something that took place uh, so that people conjured up those days. Exactly. And uh, a lot of people point to Christ as being the reason why those days were conjured up. But... I believe you brothers are going to be able to point out from the scriptures that there's uh, another, the, the real significance has something to do with something entirely different. And uh, we, what we're going to do is we're going to go to announcement and we're going to come back and we're going to discuss what that significance is. All right. All right. Brothers and sisters, at this time, please accept our invitation to visit us in the virtual living room to discuss today's topic. Comments or questions are eagerly encouraged, whether they agree or disagree with the viewpoints expressed by those involved in the program. To visit us in the virtual living room, please call 646-716-7749. Also, you can visit our website at thebocc. Dot com, or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com. Youreach 
is the letter U followed by the word reach. So that's bodyofchrist at ureach.com or call us at 1-877-871-1712. This program is broadcast live each Sunday at 2 p.m. Remember to visit us right now in the virtual living room by calling 646-716-7749. Now, back to today's show. Welcome back. First off, I want to make certain that I extend a warm invitation to anyone who happens to be listening that may have an opinion, a viewpoint, may have some other information regarding these very, very important, critical holy days, that you would just go ahead and call in and share with us what you have. Or if you have a question, you want to gain greater understanding, there's something that was said and you want to get more clarification, please uh, call us to gain some clarification on it. Um, before we went to the announcement, we were discussing how some changes came came about. You know, right now there are some days that these brothers have pointed out that are wicked days, Easter, Palm Sunday, and so forth, that came about as a result of some changes that took place. Um, Kazakia, what, what type of change took place that, you know, commonly people conjured up these days? Well, basically, to make an, a long story extre- extremely short, uh, as as our people began to be disobedient to the Heavenly Father, the Lord put put us in captivity uh, under different nations, uh, and, and with these different captivities that we were placed under because of our disobedience, uh, different nations uh, had their own idolatrous customs and practices and rights they kept. And what happened when we were placed under these different nations, um, through time, we began to take on these same idolatrous customs and practices and rights that the, uh, our, our oppressors kept. We began to take those on. So as, as, as a result, over time and over time and over time again, what began to happen is that we're, we're, we took on these different customs, uh, holidays that were not our own, Holidays that other nations kept and, uh, and their idolatrous feasts and customs, and and through time, what these nations began to do, they began to try to incorporate or to try to make to coincide their holidays or their practices with Christ. In other words, try to mix the, to, to mix the two, so that we're thinking that nowadays we're thinking that we're honoring Christ or we're doing what the Lord says to do, when in actuality we are uh, uh, celebrating a holiday or a custom that has nothing to do with the Heavenly Father, that has nothing to do with Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's Christ. That's, that, that, that is the change, and that's what people are using. They're basing uh, these uh, idolatrous practices on. They're basing it on a, um, a, a, a belief in Christ. This is what they're stating. Exactly. They they say, uh, you know, we, we we're honoring Christ by, by doing this, so we're honoring Christ by doing that. So I'll give you a prime example. Christmas. People think it's about Christ, 
But when you actually look into the origins of Christmas, how it started, what really represents, what it truly signifies, it has nothing to do with the Son of the Heavenly Father, his life, his teachings, or his sacrifice. Okay. All right, so those days don't have anything to do with Christ. It's just something that somebody's conjured up. You want to think, if those days don't have anything to do with Christ at all, you know, this Passover that was instituted back in Egypt with the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt, it was instituted way back then. How can this possibly, you know, years and years and years, centuries before Christ, how can that possibly have anything to do with Christ? Because it would seem, it just kind of goes to reason that you would have Christ and then you have some days to follow Christ that would be implemented that would actually honor Christ rather than have days prior to Christ that would be implemented that would honor Christ. How does that work? Okay. Um, I'd like to start off, if I, if I could, in 1 Corinthians 5 and 7. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. And it reads, if I get there, it reads, it says, <clears throat> it says, uh, Purge out therefore the old, I'm going to start at 5 and 6. Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even... Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Okay, so now Christ is, according to the scriptures, our Passover. Um, again, once you go and and read and, and um, look at the ordinances of the Passover, like we brought out some keynotes, the male without blemish, okay, um, some keynotes of, of the unleavened bread, um, and um, and basically how Christ is the Passover, just one quick thing is when you look in those scriptures and you look at Christ's um, work, how he was unblemished according to the scriptures, he never sinned, okay? So that's one, okay? And this, once you start to read and, and look at those ordinances and you find out that many of things, um, when, even when Christ was killed and died, was done like the Passover. So th those are just some of the things. I'd like to read a scripture right quick, which ties into what the brother was saying, because he read, a, he read out of 1 Corinthians 5 and 7 that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 29, it, it reads, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So now, here... In John 1, we have Christ being referred to as the Lamb of God. So now the understanding is Christ was that Lamb of God, that sacrificial Lamb, that Passover Lamb that John, you want to thought I <clears throat> uh, read in First uh, in First Corinthians chapter five and verse seven. So now there is therein right there is your direct correlation of how Christ is the, the, the embodiment of the Passover. He is, the, the Passover is uh, significant or Christ is symbolic of that Passover lamb, for lack of better words. So basically, okay. here what we're reading here is that, behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, it was through Christ, through his sacrifice, through his death on that cross, was going to weigh the sins of Israel. Okay, now, I, I, it's right here in the scriptures, your brothers have read it. So 
you know, it's, it's stated for itself that Christ is the Lamb of God, and Christ is also that Passover. But how? You know, how does Christ become the Lamb? And it, it, I mean, he's a man. You know, I mean, it's, it's something like in ancient Egypt where you had these statues where, you know, it had a, a face of, say, an eagle or something, the body of a man or, or a body of a, a lion and a face of a man. You know, it's, it's, it's a, a, like a morph-type situation. How is Christ a lamb? I don't, you know, explain that. This is, well, the thing is, what you have to understand, when you read in Exodus, Okay. Uh, let's go to Galatians. Uh, in order to do how I'm sorry, I can't, I can't hear you well. I'm sorry, brother. Can you, can you hear me now? Yeah, I sure can. You said go to where? The book of Galatians. Um, because we have to go in to see how we're talking about that 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 law being that schoolmaster. In the book of Galatians, uh, Um, What's the scripture, brother? With um, the Lord being a schoolmaster. Uh, I think that's Galatians chapter 4. Well, the Lord right. uh, was our schoolmaster to bring us. Yeah. That's no, Galatians 3. 3 and 24. 3 and 24. Okay. So in, Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the under a schoolmaster. What you have to understand is that what we actually read in Exodus the twelfth chapter was alluding to something of a much larger scope and of a much greater significance. That lamb was actually the symbolism of Christ. Christ is not the symbolism of the lamb. That lamb was symbolizing something of a greater significance, which would be Christ. Christ is the actual sacrifice. Just like how that lamb had to be sacrificed so that when the Lord sent the judgment upon Egypt, it would pass over the houses that had the blood of that lamb uh, placed on those doorposts. Christ is now the true sacrifice that we, like the scripture says, us being covered in the blood of the lamb, allows us to re- repent, have the remissions of our sins, our sins being what? Washed away in the blood of the Lamb, meaning that sacrifice is now the propitiation or, or, or the satisfactions for the sins that we've committed so that we may repent and live a, God, a godly and holy life in Christ. Christ is that true sacrifice by which we gain uh, mercy and repentance uh, from the Most High. So he is not talking about... Uh, well, how is uh, Christ is, is a lamb, or is he talking about human sacrifice? Nothing like that. The lamb, you have to, Christ is not the symbolism. The lamb is the symbolism of Christ. The actual reality, the actual significance is when Christ would come and be that sacrifice for the nation of Israel, like you read about in Matthew 121, about he shall um, uh, save his people from their sins. That is what's actually going on here. Okay. That's the significance of the Passover. Could I, could I add on, if I could, brother? Yeah, um, absolutely. But let, let me just, uh, before you add on, let me just throw one thing out, and, and that is, you know, at this point we read, I, I think, three scriptures about, about Christ. One, uh, Christ being the Passover. 
another one that Christ is being the lamb, and another one about the law being the schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, okay? And, you know, for someone out there, they may be looking at it and say, okay, well, I see those scriptures, okay? And I hear what you're saying, all right? And you said some things that those scriptures don't explicitly state. So where would the scriptures explicitly state what you're saying? Okay. How that how that lamb is a sacrifice now, how Christ is the actual sacrifice now, you have to go into Isaiah chapter fifty two. When you go and we can't read for the for the sake of time, we can't read every single last bit of it. But we can we can pull out some points of it. And when you go into Isaiah chapter fifty two, that will begin your understanding as far as how Christ is the actual sacrifice. It actually begins in verse uh chapter fifty three. Um, um, verse chapter fifty-three and verse one. It says uh, of Isaiah it says, "Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form, no comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we may desire him." It says, verse three, "He is despised and rejected of men." The Christ's whole life is, is is explicitly expressed in Isaiah chapter fifty three. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we, excuse me, it says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and he was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse four starts to go into the point. Surely he hath borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was buried for our iniquities. Excuse me. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It says, verse 6, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one his own way. To his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, just like in the past, in Exodus the twelfth chapter, that lamb had to be sacrificed, the blood had to be put on the post, so that that blood would allow the Lord to pass over us and not bring that death upon us. It's just like Christ had to been slain, so that His sacrifice would allow, and His blood would allow the judgment of God to pass over us. And we be not slain. It's the same thing. Verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Remember when he was brought to Pilate and the judgments was laid upon him. And all of those things happened in the court. It goes on. Um, but he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Verse 7 gives you the connection now of how Christ is that land. Eight, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. That's, that shows you that he was exactly that sacrifice so that their sins can be taken away. Isaiah 53 bridges you with the understanding from the old covenant to the new covenant from the sacrifice of the carnal lamb to the sacrifice of the true lamb, which is in Christ. It goes on. Nine, 
and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because remember, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man, Christ was buried in his tomb, in his sepulchre. It says, because he done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Christ spoke all the things that were true in the testimony of the Father. He came and delivered unto his people that they may understand how to repent and gain salvation. Verse 10, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So the Lord, because Christ's life is exceedingly more great and of higher value than any other life created, his life was acceptable unto the Lord to be that sacrifice for the entire nation of Israel. And because of that, he has gained that name and that position where he now sits on the right hand of the Father to return a second time to set the earth in complete order under the Most High. Verse 11, he shall see the travail of his soul, meaning Christ, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge my, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity, going right back into how he's a sacrifice in the land. 12, therefore, Will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil you with the strong, meaning all things will be made subject unto Christ, and Christ will rule all things, whether in heaven or in earth. It says, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, meaning even the death of the cross that you read about, and he was numbered with the transgressors when he was crucified with the, true, with the two uh, criminals on either side of him. And he bare the sins of many, meaning the nation of Israel, and made intercession for the transgressors. When he was risen the third day, ascended into heaven, and now is a mediator of the new covenant, appearing before the heavenly Father for our sakes. That's how the connection is made. Well, my brother, you said that we didn't have time for the whole chapter. But I am exceptionally glad that you went ahead and took time to read the entire chapter because that is absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. You want to thun, You had a comment that you wanted to make before uh, Kabar got into reading that. Yeah, well, what the brother read was uh, is beautiful, and uh, these scriptures um, tie in exactly with that point of um, Christ. Basically, Christ is everything is about Christ, and that that um, sacrifice was just a symbolic reference of spiritualness of what what Christ is is all about. Hebrews nine. 13 through 15. It it says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, so this is talking about all sacrifices that was made in like what we read earlier under the old Levitical order covenant. Okay? Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot, okay, that's going into that, like the Passover without blemish, without spot, without sin to the, without spot to God, meaning without breaking any of the commandments of the Heavenly Father. It says, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So in these times, we look at Christ's example and we begin to purge our 
our our works are from the wickedness of sin, and now we we doing works in repentance to serve the heavenly Father, which is the living God. For this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So that is like this Rutherford was bringing out in the scriptures how Christ's whole purpose when he came was to die for the nation of Israel who sinned, who broke that covenant. Now we have a chance for eternal life in repentance through Christ. Wow. Kuzakia, Yuanathan and Kabar have uh, done an exceptional job through the Spirit uh, bringing out these scriptures to show how Christ is the Passover lamb. Uh, but in this whole observance of Passover week, there's something else going on that you uh, brought us some scriptures earlier, and that's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, you, you, are, are you going to tell me that Christ has something to do with that, or does he not have anything to do with that? Is there any symbolism, or is Christ somehow tied into Unleavened Bread? Oh, yeah, uh, there is definite symbolism with that. Uh, give me, because uh, I was looking for 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, I'm, go, I'm going for it right now. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but there's something there's something serious in there. Because um, starting, yep, here it is, where it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to start at verse 7, but the point here is in verse, uh, verse 8. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So here it is, once again in the scriptures, the direct correlation of Christ, with the Passover, specifically that Passover lamb. And as the brother brought out earlier in the spirit of Christ, uh, uh, all correction on my part, the lamb is symbolic of Christ, not Christ symbolic of the lamb. I believe I stated Christ being symbolic of that lamb, but actually the lamb is symbolic of Christ and the sacrifice that he would make. So now in verse 8, it says, Therefore, let us keep the feast with old, not, excuse me, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So now what that means is when we keep this feast now, this Passover now, through Christ, we keep it not with the old leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that unleavened bread, excuse me, that leavened bread that we were getting rid of back then uh, before the sacrifice of Christ, only symbolic of that of the leaven of malice and wickedness that we need to get rid of, or that we that we need to take out of ourselves through repentance in Christ and following His example. So this whole this whole Passover that we're dealing with is is extremely deep, it's extremely profound, it's extremely symbolic. Every part, even even the fact that uh, the lamb had to be perfect, Christ was perfect. The lamb didn't have to have, um, had to have no no spot, no blemish, nothing broken. That that's why Christ was perfect. No spot, no blemish in him. He was the perfect man, so that he would be that acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. But the point here in verse verse eight of First Corinthians five, in reference and dealing with the uh, unleavened bread, is, is is in the same correlation or in the correlation of as we in the past got rid of that leaven out of our homes. Now, 
through Christ, we get rid of that leaven of malice and wickedness out of ourselves so that we can be that, that, that unleavened lump in uh, truth and sincerity of Christ and dealing with Christ and, and being repenting and following his example and his teachings. Okay. Um, now, go ahead. Well, and remember, ask us also of the unleavened, of the uh, getting the leaven out of our houses, because in the, when you read it in its symbolic form uh, in Exodus, the 12th chapter, how the Most High was so serious about you removing all this leaven out of your house, even when you read in other other parts in Numbers and in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it had to be removed out of your coast. It could not be seen. It was supposed to completely disappear uh, from your presence. And then when you read in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8, you realize and understand that that leaven was going into sin, wickedness. It was a symbolic representation of uh, evil that was within us being removed. Just like uh, in the Old Covenant, it was a physical thing that you did to remove the leaven out of your house. Now the true representation of what it meant is to remove the wickedness out of you. That's what it truly represents. But why, ha- why do you have to do that? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, it tells you this is what Christ is doing to the church by removing that leaven, that wickedness, as we learn of Christ, put off the old man and put on that new man according to Christ's image. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27, that he may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. Because remember, just like Christ, when he was that sacrifice before, during, and even after and eternally without blemish, so are we to cleanse ourselves through his example, through his sacrifice, and become like him. And to become like him is to become also without spot and without blemish. Then when you go into Jude chapter 1 and verse 23, that's why it's so important as we see Christ and we be that brothers and sisters one to another and have that love one to another, that we watch out and have that exhortation, that correction, so that we can continue both of, you know, each member helping each other through the hard times and making sure we don't go back into those same evil, wicked ways. Jude one twenty three or, or verse 23, it says, uh, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, meaning, you see a brother or sister going astray, you correct them. Now, some you will correct, uh, like the scripture says in verse 21, I mean 22, and some have compassion making a difference. Those who, you know, knew, don't understand, they need to be uh, growing the knowledge of Christ. You have a compassion, and you're showing them the error of their ways. But you have those who are older in the faith and understand these things and are going into things that they know they're not supposed to be dealing with. That's why it goes into verse 23 about, and others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, meaning to, uh, to that, uh, steer them away from these wicked ways, putting back on that old man, going back into those sins and transgressions, spotting their garments again with the ways of the world. It says pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Okay, that being spotted by the flesh is now you putting those blemishes and those marks in that, in that error back into you. Whereas we're supposed to be like Christ, that land without blemish, blemish cleansing ourselves. 
So we have to make sure that once we begin this walk in Christ that we continue going in that direction, not uh, uh, going back into the ways of the world, taking back on that same uh, mindset that was in Satan and those errors and those uh, uh, wicked ways and making sure we're going forth and cleaning ourselves more and more, uh, removing the spots from our garments more and more by seeking Christ and the keeping the commandments of the scriptures. Okay. Now, brothers, I'm not sure that uh, y'all understanding my question because you, you brought some some excellent scriptures about uh, the unleavened bread and how uh, the, the leaven represented uh, sin, wickedness, malice, so on and so forth. But what I was trying to find out is in, in the case with the uh, the Passover lamb, we found out that the lamb actually represented Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, does the unleavened bread represent Christ in some way? Yes. Everything about that that feast, particular feast Passover, not only just that feast, but all the high holy days that the Heavenly Father um, ordained, they go into Christ, okay? The bread, like when, unless you can go in the scriptures where Christ had the last, this Passover with his disciples. He told them what the bread was for, and he, had, he told them what the wine was for. Okay, so... Uh, go ahead, brother. Yeah, yeah exactly. The bread, of course... Now, remember, what the world calls the Last Supper is actually the Passover. Okay, this is the, the Passover that Christ uh, partook of uh, before, the, before uh, he was actually sacrificed himself to be the, the uh, propitiation for the nation of Israel. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Uh, where, where, where are you reading, brother? First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Okay. And it says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had uh, given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, remember, this is the Passover he's at, and he has the wine and the bread. Now, this bread that he's breaking is unleavened bread. It's not, uh, that's what it is. It's the unleavened bread at the Passover. And what did he do? He, after he had given thanks to the Father, made that prayer, he said, Take, eat. This is what? My body, which is broken for you, going into that sacrifice the things that will happen to him in the flesh for the nation of Israel. So now you have your connection between what the unleavened bread meant in Exodus 12 chapter, and now what the unleavened bread means in in 1 Corinthians 11 chapter. That unleavened bread is the body of Christ that was broken for us, meaning the things he suffered in the flesh so that we can gain redemption with the Heavenly Father and and be forgiven for our sins. And which he had... Uh, and the scripture says, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup, meaning the wine, is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So that, that unleavened bread is symbolic of the body of Christ, which is broken, meaning the things he suffered in the flesh, so that we can have repentance and return to the Heavenly Father. Wow. Okay, so now now we understand, you know, what the origin of the Passover is. And we understand that 
what it appeared that the Passover was being instituted for, you know, the Passover, the death angel passing over uh, the Israelites in Egypt, that that was sort of an, a, a, a preemptive instituting of what was actually going to be instituted for real with Christ. Exactly. Okay. So un- understanding that that was preemptive, is there any difference now that Christ has actually come and been sacrificed and rose from the dead? Is there any difference in the way that you go about observing the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover week now as opposed to the way you would have done it 3,000 years ago? Yeah, there is a difference. Um, when you go to uh, Colossians 2.16, going to read Say it. that again, Colossians what? Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, verse 17 as well, and um, I'm going to read it. It, it. There is a difference, okay, because now, after the understanding, originally it was about the ordinances, making sure we do it as the Lord has said it to, um, has he commanded Moses to give to the children of Israel from that point up to the point of Jesus Christ's death. Okay, when he died for the nation of Israel, there was a point that we had to keep those ordinances those ways. But now, after his death, okay, and now that he's bringing that new covenant, we're not we're not um, strict on that guideline of um, how we keep it because this is what Christ um, told um, Paul. All right, that gave this um, word he spoke in the spirit of Christ to the church in Colossians. This is what he told him. He said this. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Why? What he means by the respect of these days, whether they keep the ordinances of those days. He says, let no man judge you on the way you keep those days. Why? It's going to explain itself. Verse 17, it says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So those things were a shadow of the things to come. And what was that that came when the Heavenly Father um, gave the outline of the many generations and then the son of Joseph? What was that that came? The thing that came was Christ. And that body is that church. That whole church is what? The children of Israel who repent and want to follow the son of the Heavenly Father who sits again on the right hand of the Father. So all those things were just... um, Prerequisite, shall I say, of coming to what Christ. And now Christ is going to show you many things more than we could ever imagine. I'd like, now, to, also, so, I'd like to also so, read uh, Hebrews, if I could, because it, it also gives some uh, gives some clarification on that, sure. uh, as far as what uh, what was done in the past before Christ, and now what we do now in Christ. Now, in uh, verse Hebrews chapter ten, starting at verse four, it reads. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith. Now, this is Christ. This is all symbolic of Christ. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body that hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. So originally... With sacrifices, even first and foremost with sacrifices, originally 
The Most High gave it to us, yes, but that was something that our nation took and abused. The Heavenly Father was never really, according to the scripture, the Most High was more concerned with our obedience and completing his word and, and following his instructions than our sacrifice for us being disobedient and breaking his commandments. So now back again in verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will of God. Uh, do thy will, O God, excuse me. Above when he said, Sacrifice and burnt offering, sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not. Neither had pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then, verse 9, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. Now, now the main point is in this last verse where it says he takes away the first. Christ took away the first covenant and all the all, and, and all the, the things that we have to do dealing with that first covenant in reference to sacrifice so that the second covenant which would be instituted, which will be put into effect upon his death, may come in, may, may come into uh, so may come into establishment, may come into existence. Excuse me. Then said he, verse nine again. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He is he taketh away the first, meaning that first covenant, that he may establish the second, the second covenant, the more perfect covenant, in which now under this new covenant. Do we still keep the high holy days of the Heavenly Father? Yes, we do. The, the difference is that now we don't follow him through Moses. We don't follow him through the sacrifices uh, of the washing of hands, the washing of pots, the sacrificing of goats, the sacrificing of bullocks, the turtle doves, things of that nature. We follow it, and we do these things now through the example of Christ, even down to how we celebrate the Passover. There is, there is no need to go out on the 10th day and slay a lamb and, 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 and excuse me, uh, on the 14th day. Let, let me say it this way. I apologize. There is no need to separate a lamb from the Passover on the 10th day, keep it up until the 14th day, slay it, and eat it uh, with, your, uh, with your loins girded, with your shoes on, with your staff in the hand like we read about in Exodus 12. No. Through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are no longer bound to keep that as far as those rights are concerned. But we are still, through Christ, are responsible for keeping the Passover now through him and not through Moses. That's, that is the point of why I came to Hebrews 10th chapter to show how the Most High, well, excuse me, to show how Christ, through his death, took away the first covenant so that the second covenant can be established through him so that we may be partakers of this second covenant and we have a more profound and more perfect understanding of the commandments as we were originally supposed to have been keeping them or how to keep them, excuse me. Now, Kavar, Kazaki has done a very, very good job of finding just the right scripture to explain how that Christ is that sacrifice, that the, the blood of lambs and goats and bulls and so forth, they don't take away sins. Christ did that. Okay. But now you know there are people that are listening 
that never observed Passover, and there are people who have observed Passover who understand that Christ is that Passover lamb that will go out and take all the unleavened bread out of the house. They are going to observe a Sabbath day on the first day of unleavened bread on the 15th of, of, of Abib, and then seven days afterwards they're going to have another Sabbath day. Uh, where they're not going to do any servile work, okay? So the question I guess I have for you is, is that the way they're supposed to do things, by getting rid of the unleavened bread and by observing those Sabbaths and so forth? Is that correct or incorrect? No, that's correct. They're not supposed to do those things. Because the thing is that it, what people have to understand is these ordinances, was not the point. The ordinances was to uh, be a schoolmaster, basically set some boundaries, some brackets around the nation of Israel until a set time where the fullness of the understanding would, would come in when Christ, mediator of the new, new covenant, would explain what it all meant. And then that is how it was supposed to be observed. When you go into Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11 and 12, it says, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, by which we have all these things, these ordinances, it says, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that, in other, that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not called after the order of Aaron? Because Melchizedek was before Aaron, before there was even a, a Levitical priesthood during the time of Abraham. 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Okay, so now you have to understand this change is happening. A newness is being established from the old into the new. You jump into Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13, it tells you, In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish, meaning that old covenant. Those ordinances of sacrifice, so on and so forth, under those old, old, under that old covenant, Scripture says what? It vanished away. Jump into Hebrews chapter 9, verse 8. It tells you, the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing, meaning the temple that Solomon built, because the people's mind was all wrapped around this carnal representation of what the Most High was about. Okay, in the cardinal ordinances. While that stood, they would never under while that temple stood, that physical temple stood, they would never understand the true intent of the most high in his commandments. Verse nine. Which was a figure, that temple in its ordinances. Says what in verse nine? Which was a figure for the time then present, in which there was offered both gifts and sacrifices that would that could not make him that did the service perfect meaning the priest who did it, and also what? As pertaining to the conscience. So whether it was the priest who offered it to God or the people who brought the offering, it would make neither of their conscience pure before the Heavenly Father. All right? Verse 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances, meaning earthly, um, imposed on them until the time of reformation. Uh, so... It's not that the, the commandments was wicked or anything. It's just that it, it was only, it was temporary, okay, only for the time then present until what? 
until the time of Reformation. That time of Reformation was when Christ came and the understanding of these things would go forth. Because the scriptures tell you in Deuteronomy 18 chapter and also in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5 that what? This is my beloved servant and who I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Whatsoever thing Christ established, it was the end of, of all argument or all discussion. Whatever Christ spoke and established, that was the way from then forward. Exactly. Right? Jump, down, jump down to verse 11. For Christ being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, meaning not according to that old uh, uh, temple that Solomon built. It says what? Uh, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered, uh, he entered in once unto the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So unlike the sacrifice, whether it was a Passover or was it of the time of um, uh, the Day of Atonement, any of those sacrifices had to be performed yearly because they could not make the, the ones who did the sacrifices or the ones who bought the sacrifices, they could not cleanse their conscience from sin because it was not the perfect sacrifice, which would be Christ, that would come in a later time. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and cats, for if the blood of bulls, of goats, and the ashes of an heifer, Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So if you think those uh, carnal sacrifices, I mean those earthly sacrifices that you brought to the temple, would do you some service, truly and indeed the sacrifice of Christ will perform those things to its fullest. It would cleanse your conscience. It would guide you out of sin and into righteousness. That would be the true and righteous sacrifice that will bring you to that point of purification before the Heavenly Father. Then it goes on. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, Christ, that by means of his death, for the redemption of the transgressors that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of inter eternal inheritance. So all those who would understand what the true sacrifice would be, which is Christ, and would put their faith in that, follow that example, live according to that example in Christ, those who continue in that until the end would actually receive salvation. Because the scriptures tell you in another place that if, uh, if you be circumcised, meaning go back into the into living your life or basing your faith off of the carnal ordinances, it tells you what? Christ has profited you nothing. Mm -hmm. Meaning you would not be, you thinking that these carnal ordinances and observing of those things will bring you salvation, and they will not. And in the day when the Most High sends the judgment and sends Christ to judge, your sins will still be upon you. You will be found faithless and found in rebellion against the Heavenly Father, and you will be destroyed with all others. In that rebellion. So the thing hey, is, question, that you have to, go ahead. Uh, you know, uh, in, in everything that you read, uh, th there's some very, very strong scriptures to dispel any notion that you should uh, have any need to do any sacrifices. Because I mean, it's, it's redundantly clear mm -hmm. that exactly. Christ is the sacrifice. Right. Okay. All right. So now, is that also dispelling that you have to? Uh, 
eat unleavened bread that you have to even observe the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Is it dispelling those things also? No, it's not dispelling those things. It's not? Remember, it, it, when you talk it about the, the observance of uh, all these things as far as acknowledging that this is a Sabbath day, acknowledging what these things truly mean, it's being observed but not according to the old ordinances, but according to the understanding now that we have in Christ. It's not just, oh, well, forget it. We don't have to. There is no Passover. These things does not exist anymore. They do, but now they are kept according to the understanding in Christ. Now we know with the, we don't sacrifice the lamb because we don't understand that Christ is a sacrifice. We don't have the putting unleavened bread out of our houses because we know the unleavened bread, that, the unleavenedness, the leaven that needs to be put out is the wickedness in us. Okay, so you have to understand, the sacrifices are still happening, but they're not carnal sacrifices. They're spiritual sacrifices now. The fullness of it has now come in. All of these things are being still continued, but in its fullness, the fullness of its form. So the Passover now is Christ. The leaven now is wickedness that's in us that's need to be put, that has to be put away. Okay? How do you make a spiritual sacrifice? It's, it's real easy to see, you know, of course, like a, a carnal sacrifice. You've got a goat, for example. You take the goat and, and you, you slay it and you, you uh, give it over to the priest or whatever. You know, so that's, that's pretty clear to see. You can see that. Okay, but a spiritual sacrifice, what does that look like? Uh, one second. Let me, let me uh, see if I can find that for you right quick. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, yeah, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, right, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So here in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, this is an example of a spiritual sacrifice. In other words, we present ourselves to the Most High and, and, and through Christ in the spirit of repentance. In other words, all that that I used to be, all that that I used to do, the way that I used to act, whatever that was contrary to the doctrine of Christ, whatever that was contrary to the commandments, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm now living my life for Christ. I am now living my life as an example, learning, becoming better, becoming more mature spiritually in Christ so that I can, Lord willing, make it to the kingdom of heaven. So that's your spiritual Sacrifice. It's also, believe it or not, it's also in uh, Galatians chapter two. Uh, I love y'all. Bear with me one second, please. Galatians chapter two, starting at verse twenty. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now this is Paul speaking, and he's saying, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So in other words, I'm repenting, and just as Christ died, that carnal, wicked, sinful man that's within all of us, that person has to die. Nevertheless okay. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So now this new person this new person that's, that's, that's coming forth after that, that carnal man has been put to death, this new person, that spirit of Christ is living in, that, in this new person, this new man or this new woman. And it says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what that means basically is this new person, this new life that I'm now living, this new life that I'm now living, I'm living through Christ who sacrificed himself for me so that I could partake of this new life and be that example of the Son of God and how he lives. So therein are two examples of uh, spiritual uh, uh, spiritual. Uh, Mm, excuse me, <laughs> spiritual sacrifice. Go ahead, brother. Let, let me paraphrase this a little bit because it, it, what it sounds like you're saying, you know, that spiritual sacrifice, what you're actually sacrificing is a, weak, a wicked life. Is, is that an accurate, you know, paraphrase? That's, that's, an accurate, that's an accurate paraphrase. What you are sacrificing, you are sacrificing yourself, not to, not to a carnal death, but to, that, to the spiritual death of that carnal man or to the death of that carnal man or that carnal woman that walked contrary to the Most High in Christ. That's the sacrifice. So, that, so that's, that, that was the, the, the foreshadowing, all those animals, those bulls, goats, and so forth, that uh, were sacrificed, that was all about wickedness, eradicating wickedness. That was the foreshadowing. Exactly. 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 When you go into mm-hmm. Ecclesiasticus, now to make the bridge and – of these carnal sacrifices of what the, mo- the intent of them was. When you go into Ecclesiasticus chapter 35, we're going to start at verse 1. It's going to tell you this is the true intent that the Heavenly Father was going after. Ecclesiasticus and the Apocrypha chapter 35 starting at verse 1. He that keepeth the law bringeth offerings enough. He that taketh heed to the commandments offereth a peace offering. He that requiteth a good turn offereth fine flour, and he that giveth alms sacrificeth praise. Verse 3. To depart from wickedness is a pleasing thing to the Lord, and to forsake unrighteousness is a propitiation. So you see how those are the sacrifices that the Heavenly Father was truly after that those carnal sacrifices represented. You go into the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, it brings that out even more. It says, Hebrews 13 and verse 15, By him therefore, meaning Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his, giving thanks to his name. So you see how when you talk about the spiritual sacrifices, bringing up with those carnal sacrifices meant in their true intent is to actually us turning to the Heavenly Father, lit, cleansing our minds, uh, getting the wickedness out of us. Those are the actual true sacrifices tra- sacrifices that the Heavenly Father is going for. And it makes a direct correlation between buying flour that was mingled, that was bought in the old, in the, uh, according to the old, old covenant, and what it actually meant, meaning to require a good turn. It's like offering fine flour. Then it tells you to depart from wickedness is to bring a propitiation. And it tells you to keep the law, you, you offer offerings enough. So it shows you what the Heavenly Father was truly after, and that understanding was fully brought in with Christ. That's why you don't make the carnal sacrifices now. You make the spiritual sacrifices, and now you understand what those spiritual sacrifices actually are. Well, my uh, brother, that last scripture you read about, uh, you know, let's offer, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, let's offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. It's a very, very good scripture to end up on because all praise is due to the Most High in Christ uh, for an excellent program 
you know, you brothers uh, definitely brought out a, very, a lot of very, very important scriptures and uh, very, very clear on things. All praises to the Most High in Christ. Uh, this concludes the program today. I'm very humbled uh, to be involved in this program. And uh, thank all you brothers and sisters who are listening now and the ones who are listening to this show in the future. Uh, all praises to the Most High in Christ. Shalom. Shalom. Brothers and sisters, thank you for visiting with us in the virtual living room of the Body of Christ Church. You can visit our website at thebocc.com or you can email us at bodyofchrist at youreach.com or call us at 877-871-1712. Until our next visit, the Most High in the name of Christ bless you. Shalom. Thank you.